gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only. The clean shaven Jane Arnold. Yeah, Mike, and it is a it has been a whirlwind twenty four hours, hasn't it? Uh, you know, I went and enjoyed a, a game in in San Marcos and uh, got to see Texas State close out their season strong. But uh, my Aggies have uh, been the talk of the town. It almost seems like on the internet with uh, will they or won't they? Uh, multiple rumors and hirings and 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 not hirings and and struggles for power and just about anything that you could have in a, in a good story about a coaching search. Uh, it seems like AM has provided. This is 5 PM on a Sunday when we are recording this, who knows what happens by the time this thing gets out or within another hour or two passes. I think most of us thought Mark Stoops was the next head coach of Texas A&M uh, about 18 hours ago. Seemed like the writing was on the wall. That news gets leaked by whatever side you'd like to believe it got leaked by. Multiple places start running with it, including me. I mean, I that's what I heard as well. Had some sources at AM kind of insinuate that was going to be a, a deal. It felt like uh, places in Kentucky were reporting he was starting to tell assistant coaches and some of the team. Then an hour passed on social media, and, and it feels like uh, the board never finally approved the uh, offer. It fell through because of backlash and whatever else we want to think of. It was wild. It was one of those that there's probably <laughs> going to be 10 different stories of how that went down. I'd imagine Stoops has a side of the story. Ross Bjork has a side of the story. Some of the donors and, and border regions have a side of the story. We'll probably never know exactly how close it was to happening or who completely or who had the final say of pulling the plug. But it did feel like without some of that backlash, without some of the reaction to the Mark Stoops news, he was more than likely going to be the guy we were talking about in this podcast, but we're not. So before we get to who we are talking about, what were your reactions to just kind of how that played out and how much public reaction does or should or did play into what happened last night between Mark Stoops and AM? Yeah, it was uh, it was a full on uh, Shianoing, I think is yeah. uh, the verb that we're going to coin for that. Uh yeah, so the it got leaked, and uh, you know, like to be honest with you, I would have been okay with Stoops as head coach. It wouldn't be my favorite pick. I probably wouldn't have been thrilled about it, but I would have been okay with it because it's at the end of the day, he is a winning coach. Uh, his his only non like since he's basically established a winning record at Kentucky, he hasn't been below five hundred except for the COVID year. And again, we do not count the COVID years. It wasn't a real thing, uh, 2020. So uh, I would have been okay with it. But but getting to the second part of that question, as far as, you know, public opinion and, and 
did it sway the response and and should it sway the response uh i don't know if it should or not i mean like you if you're a facility like if you're a power base that is making a decision for the university and you think you have your guy that should be your decision now should you get input ahead of time yes uh but if there's an offer out there i don't think you can let the public change your mind on that uh with that being said i think there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes uh as far as a divide in power it, it seems like there's just not leadership right like and that's why it came down to this so Yes, the public reaction probably didn't look good, uh, but I think the public reaction is a microcosm of some of the power struggles behind the scenes where the decision was actually uh, made and then uh, retracted, as it were. I think uh, like the reaction wasn't going to be good, and maybe they did leak it to see if they could get a test reaction, uh, but, but I don't think the, the public... Uh, and and the wild hour on social media, uh, w- which we got to witness, really made the decision. I think it was more of a test the waters type situation. I'd imagine it was leaked by the side who didn't want it to happen and was trying to get the news out there to tank it from happening because of the backlash that they thought it would create. And if you're Mark Stoops, once you start seeing that, why would you want to take the job, right? I mean, all of a sudden, where you're at starts sounding better and better because um, he is, you know, loved there and paid very well there. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting deal. I mean, I'm with you. A well-oiled machine probably doesn't take the public opinions into it as much as maybe A&M does, right? And I think when Ross Bjork was doing his press conference about the firing for Jimbo, he talked about having four presidents in the four and a half years that he was there and uh, I know that's not the only person making this decision, but I, I think it speaks to the fact that there's not a solidified organizational chart of how these decisions go and who makes them and how they're made, who has the final decision. Um, and that's where Texas A&M needs to grow to catch up with the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Georgias. Um, the Oklahoma is just that consistent kind of over time, over different regimes there is some kind of like continuity there that continues the success. And AM just hasn't had that institutional alignment, I think is uh, yeah. the best way to describe that. It's just, yeah, like you said, AM just doesn't have it. There's too many factions. I think it's part of the problem that Texas has had, why no they've doubt. had so much turnover there. Uh, and, and part of the equation and why AM hasn't taken that next step, it's that lack of institutional alignment. I mean, uh, you know, you go back to rumors of it during the someone times with uh, Houston donors versus Dallas donors and, and you know, rumors of, of clashes over who should be the starting quarterback influencing coaching decisions. Obviously, I'm not going to get into all that, but it, it has long been a problem at A&M that uh, the egos, if you can get the egos on board with the same plan and working together, uh, it can work out. Uh, but when the egos are clashing within uh, the structure or rather lack of structure uh, it, it's just kind of disastrous and and it leads to decisions being made without being cleared and then being taken back and then I mean it's just a whole mess right and and it's 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 tough because like it's not easy to get a whole bunch of people to fall in line 
right? Like it, it's the human nature to, to kind of rebel against uh, that, especially when you're dealing with a whole bunch of uh, very well endowed folks who uh, yeah, they're the bosses. aren't used to. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they aren't, they're, they're they aren't the used to falling in line. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think, and that brings us to who Texas A&M did hire. And that's Duke head coach, Mike Elko, obviously former defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. He understands what he's getting into. He knows all the people that we're talking about, right? He knows all the factions behind the scenes. He knows what happens inside that locker room. He knows a lot of the people inside of those offices and inside of that locker room and on this roster and on the staff. Uh, Mike Elko, 16 and nine in two seasons at Duke. He won nine uh, games in his first year there, beat Clemson in the opener. You know, that overall record doesn't do him justice because his quarterback's been out. And since they haven't had their quarterback, they've obviously had a little bit of a tailspin. Was the Texas A&M DC from 2018 to 2021, that's four seasons, led a top 20 defense in 2021 before he went to Duke. He was second against the run in 2018 and 2020. Found this one fascinating. We're kind of looking this up and writing the story. Fisher was 34 and 14 in the four seasons with Elko as his defensive coordinator. They are 12 and 12 without him in the last two seasons. So a clear divide there between Mike Elko in the building, Mike Elko not in the building. And just from observing social media and seeing how the players were reacting to possible Mark Stoops news compared to how they were reacting to Mike Elko news. It feels like the roster is happy. It feels like the fan base is relatively happy, as happy as you're going to make a fan base uh, with the coaching decision. Uh, it does seem like with all the headaches, and everything we just talked about, and maybe AM in spite of itself, landed on a guy who seems like the right fit and the right person for this job. Yeah, and, and look, I don't think AM needed to make a splash hire. I think that's what we talked about is is maybe resisting the urge to make that splash hire. Make a solid hire. Yeah, make the right and one. Mike Elko feels like a very solid hire. Whether he's the right one or not, we'll find out. Uh, but one thing about this too is, and one of the criticisms I've seen from social media is that uh, A&M reneged on uh, SEC Mark Stoops for ACC Mark Stoops in the comparison of of Elko to Stoops. And I, I can see somewhat uh, where you might draw that conclusion. I, I think there's a difference there anyway. But uh, one key factor is, like you said, the reaction of the players. I think Elko coming back to A&M helps hold on uh, to the roster and, and a lot of the guys that are that are on the roster just because of the familiar, familiarity there. Uh, some of the older guys able to talk to uh, guys currently on the roster about who how like playing for Elko and what that was like. And to uh, some of the staff members, they can ask Elijah Robinson what it, what he's like and get a real answer from it. Like there's points of connections within that building that everybody there can can figure stuff out with. Yeah, and and people underestimate those those points of connection. Even if you are trying to, you know, change regimes and go from Jimbo to something else, uh, you still want to have a little bit of continuity, especially with regards to recruiting and, and uh, you know, with the transfer portal and and having to actively recruit your roster uh, when you have them on campus. Because this so isn't I, a complete rebuild. No. This isn't one of those that you need to burn it to the ground so it doesn't matter if you go and hire somebody without any type of uh, connection to the room because he has two or three years to figure it out regardless. And you're going to get rid of most everybody in house and just start all over. Think Deion Sanders at Colorado or even Rhett Lashley at SMU. Like we've seen that JG, what GJ Kenny had to do at Texas state at A&M. 
that's a pretty turnkey situation. If you can keep 85% of that roster there and a lot of the big nine, big time faces and names, especially on defense with the portal, with A&M's brand, you can go mix and match and figure out some of the holes and fix those band-aid wise through the portal. You're always going to be able to recruit. Well, he's got three or four, you know, I guess three weeks to, to wrap up uh, the recruiting class and really get that going. And so, uh, to me, that's why Elko always seemed like the the right fit. To me, this was Jeff Trailer or Mike Elko. Like that felt like a two man race the whole time. And I understood the Elko argument because one, he's recruited at a high level because he's been at AM. So he understands everything that you need to do to recruit at AM. Um, and two, he feels like the guy who was going to keep this roster the most intact and ready to play in 2024. And we know how important winning in 2024 is to the people making these these decisions at A&M. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain team coming into the conference that you wanted to be able to compete with right away. Uh, and I, again, uh, with Elko and, and his ability, uh, we think, to hold this roster together, uh, it does seem like a good fit. Uh, and, and I get the criticisms, right? Like, what has he proven at Duke? Uh, well, first of all, his first year at Duke was a huge turnaround, like you talked about with, uh, you know, what guys in other situations have done, uh, like like Kenny at Texas State or or Lashley at SMU, he did show that he can do a full rebuild, right? Because Duke did not have much on the roster uh, when he got in there, and he immediately took them to a nine one season. Uh, but again, that's not what he's going to have to do at A and M, and I think that just serves better. Uh, and man, I don't want to underestimate the reaction of the players on online either. Uh, I think that, you know, having that kind of support, it, it makes, if you're a recruit seeing guys be a fan of a hire, I think it makes you more likely to to have a positive reaction to that hire as well. No doubt. The buy-in uh, so comes quicker. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, all of this, you know, I don't know why Texas, well, we talked about it in, in the uh, lack of structure, but it, it felt like a very convoluted process to arrive at what we thought was a reasonable conclusion very early on. And a lot of people agreed with. I don't understand how context gets lost in these situations as if nine wins at Duke is somehow just like, ah, he won nine games. He's only won nine games at Duke. Like, like what? That's like winning 13 games at most places. They, They had three wins the year before two year, two wins the year before that five years or five wins. Two years, three years before that, Duke has only won ten games one time in the history of their program. Like only one time in Duke football has they have the Blue Devils won more than they did in Mike Elko's first year, and then when a fully healthy roster in the second year they beat Clemson. Like none of none of us know how these hires are going to work out. Like I have no idea. You could hire you know anybody. Like you can't predict the future. But Mike Elko winning nine games at Duke and then beating Clemson by the time he's coached his 14th game as a collegiate head coach is proof that he knows how to lead a program, not a slight towards him in any type of way. Yeah, I mean, it's just like wild. And and I get that there's a little bit of a fall off uh, in the back half of this year. Maybe it took some of the shine off of it. But again, like injury bugs. First of all, he's going to have a lot more depth at AM to work with, right? Like that's the biggest key. You can recruit good guys at a school like Duke, uh, you're not going to get the top guys, but you're going to have, you know, enough guys in the roster to be uh, competitive. Yeah. But you're not going to have that throughout the roster. You're not going to have. You'll like your first 35. 
You won't exactly. like your second 35. Exactly. And at AM, you're much more likely to, <laughs> to have that second 35 that can step up. And, you know, you talk about the the next man up mentality. Uh, that's all well and good in, in theory, but it, it's hard to put it into practice. And there's a few places that can do that, uh, you know, and I don't think Duke's one of them. I think AM is one of them. Uh, and the, the other part, too, is just the comfort for Elko. I think uh, it makes sense there, too. Like you said, he's been here. He knows all the people. He knows who he's going to have to deal with. Uh, I think that makes it a little bit easier for for everybody. Uh, just all the touch points that that you could get into, uh, I think are uh, more reasons why this should not have taken as long as it did, and and taken as many turns as, as the search did. This may sound dumb and hokey and overrated, but he can hit the ground running in a way that a another coach wouldn't have. Right? Like he doesn't he doesn't need to figure out how to get to his office. He doesn't need to figure out. You know, where he wants to go eat and and how to how to get around campus and who to contact for this one thing and how to get a hold of this other person for the who compliance is like all of those little things that take up your first week or two on a job. Mike Elko doesn't have to worry about. And that's really important with the portal opening on the fourth and early signing period right around the corner. Yeah, there's less of an adjustment period, uh, m- more so now than ever in, in that you have to come in and and, and produce right away. And I think that's why teams are quicker to make decisions as far as firing and, and holding on to coaches as well uh, is because if you let up for one second, I mean, it can be disastrous. It's like uh, it's the analogy of, of like if you don't think a second is long, hold your hand on a hot stove for a second and then see how long that is. Uh, and, and it's it's what makes this job so difficult. But at the same time, it's why you want somebody like Alco who has now both head coaching experience and experience at the place that he's going to be a head coach under his belt. It does feel like A&M botched the opportunity for this to be a real feel-good, fun situation here. Like after what happened with the Stoops drama, no matter whose fault that was, it just is It just is always going to feel second best or second choice or third choice or fourth choice or whatever. There's always that stigma to it. But who cares? Right. Like you're just trying to find the guy that can win. Like Daryl Royal was not the first choice at Texas when he got that job. Right. Sonny Dykes wasn't the first job, first coach at TCU and he went to a national championship in year one. I'm sure there's plenty of other. Sark wasn't the first choice at Texas this time around. Right. And he's doing pretty good there. So I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that everywhere um, where sometimes in, in spite of what you were trying to do, you end up with the right thing. It just feels like Elko checks all the boxes. Like when we first heard the description of what AM wanted in a replacement for Jimbo Fisher, Mike Elko seemed to check all of those boxes. And I think the further you get away from it, the more you can get enamored with the big name or that splash hire, or maybe you get away from what you were looking for right in that moment. But right in that moment of being scarred and being hurt, like in a breakup, you have that clarity of what you really want. And that is what they wanted. They wanted an R.C. Slocum-type coach. Mike Elko feels like a dude who, if he's successful at A&M, is there until they build a statue of him, right? Like, he can be that guy to sit in that chair and be there for a really long time and to be the program builder and be the leader that Texas A&M needs. Because they don't need a talent acquisition guy. They're going to get talent acquisition. They don't need a big name to get attention. It's Texas A&M. Like, plenty of, they're in the SEC. They don't need any of that kind of stuff. They just need a win. And Mike Elko, while at AM, was winning. And at Duke, he, when he has his quarterback, has won as well. I just, I just think it was a no-brainer that 
turned into something that isn't going to be seen as a no brainer because of how it was handled. Yeah. And, and it's always the, the public perception, like A&M worries about how they're going to be perceived. I think it's a little bit of a, uh, a cultural issue going back to just, you know, some of the, uh, some of the thoughts that A&M people deal with uh, in, in general public, uh, conversations with the cult stuff and, and whatnot it, it's a little bit of an inferiority complex where you want to come off as cool and, and that's part of why they want to make the splash higher uh when in reality like just going in for a good solid guy that makes sense checks all the boxes uh if you if you do that from the jump instead of <laughs> going down a whole bunch of different paths and like I'm, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do their due diligence and try to see who's interested either right because you know yeah, you, but you know can you do it in a cleaner way there's a way to do it in a surgical way like you didn't know brian kelly was going to lsu until he was there you didn't know lincoln riley was going to usc until he was on a plane like there's a way to do these things right and i mean a&m's not the only place that messes a lot of college places mess it up it's why indiana's paying a dude 20 plus million dollars to go away right like um so a&m's not alone there um but yeah it was just it was just one of those deals that to me, it feels like something that fits AM culture more. The blue collar defensive coordinator, you know, he's not the splash, you know, he's not like a big in your face camera dude or whatever. Like that feels like more of who AM should be, should be leaning into that, get the wrecking crew back, have some fun, play some defense. Um, it'll be interesting. I think the first, I mean, is it right to say his first jobs are, are just recruiting the roster? currently in college station and then trying to just keep as many of the guys as he can in this recruiting class. Yeah. And uh, making sure Elijah Robinson is retained as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk <laughs> to you next. Kind of like, let's, let's talk about the initial staff. Um, I think Elijah Robinson is just has to be retained. Right. Yes. I mean, I think the logical is he's a defensive coordinator or co DC. Do you think like a Tyler Santucci comes back? Uh, he's the linebacker coach co DC at Duke. He was a linebacker coach at A&M under Elko before, before they both moved together to Duke. Do you see this as one of those, it's going to be a Mike Elko led defense or the principal defense with Santucci and uh, Robinson as kind of the co DCs in charge there. Yeah. And, and, you know, A&M fans, I think have strong opinions about Santucci because of uh, some perceived recruiting errors uh, with, with Harold Perkins uh, being one of the, the losses that AM had there on the recruiting trail and a lot of that blame fell on Santucci fairly or not. Uh, I would be okay with Santucci coming in. I want Elijah Robinson to get the defensive coordinator coordinator title uh, and, a, and a pay race and uh, resources there. Uh, but I'd be okay with Santucci coming back as a linebacker coach. I know AM fans don't want to hear that. Uh, I just think that, some of that reaction to recruiting stuff has been overblown a little bit. And and he has more experience as well now as a coach. Uh, so th- things can change in a hurry. Uh, I, I think it's going to be an Elko principal defense, and and I, I hope it is. And, and that's why I think that making Elijah Robinson the defense coordinator uh, is such an easy fit in my mind because if E-Rob's struggling a little bit and, and he's running a, an Elko principal defense, then Elko's right there. He's going to be able to step in and, and kind of uh, direct it a little bit. I think sometimes, especially coming from a D-line, uh, you have a more condensed view of the mm-hmm. defense as a whole, so it can be a little bit of a steeper learning curve uh, because 
from a defensive line standpoint, you know, like what coverage a guy's in behind you. So you kind of know where holes are, but it's a, it's a different feel when you actually have to look from the defensive backfield inward Uh, defensive line, you're thinking, you know, all right, we're in cover zero. I have to get the quarterback as fast as possible, or uh, we're playing, you know, cover two. So we're going to be a little bit lighter in the box. And so you have like kind of a basic knowledge of the defense, but you really have to have more time in the film room just zoned in on the secondary and secondary principles to, to get a feel for calling the game because I mean you execute up front it's fine but I think there's more nuance in the passing game and and that's why I think uh coach Robinson is probably going to need a little bit more time as as a defense coordinator to get seasoning and so I think that having Elko kind of guiding him along the defensive coordinator process and I, I don't know how much uh, e Rob already has from a from a uh, coordinator standpoint. Like he may have more, and and I could just be talking out of my ass here. But I'm just coming from a defensive lineman. Sure, uh, learning a full defense is is a little bit different, just because you don't have the bird's eye view in the back end uh, when you're kind of a more condensed view of football up front. And from your memory and just from watching football, could you, how would you describe a Mike Elko principal defense? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's aggressive. He's going to get after, he's going to send uh, pressure. It's, uh, you know, mostly an even front, but he'll get multiple. Like he'll mix in uh, three man fronts on occasion. Uh, but it's, it's very much a, uh, a bend, but don't break. But I feel like he gets even more aggressive than Durkin does at times. Uh, a little more physical, I think, up front. Just going back and forth there, but you know, like it's four two five. I mean, pretty pretty standard stuff. Uh, some good exotics in there mixed in. Uh, and and he does a good job of kind of masking some of the holes. I think mm-hmm. he does a better job of that as far as like knowing if your secondary's struggling, finding ways to minimize. Uh, that damage. Uh, so th- there's there's some changes there going back to the Elko defense that I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah, mostly four two five at Duke. It hasn't been as exotic, but I think to your point earlier, he doesn't have the dudes to run some of that stuff. You know, like not as much of that split front five oh five type stuff that he was running occasionally at A and M. So I think with more weapons on the edge and better defensive tackles and more athletes in the second level, you're able to to do more of that kind of stuff, right? Where yeah. uh, at a place like Duke, especially when you haven't had, you know, multiple recruiting cycles left, you're just trying to protect them from giving up huge plays. Uh, but they improved tremendously on the defensive side of the ball, uh, obviously when he got there. And then they improved tremendously on the offensive side of the ball. They were dead last in the uh, ACC before uh, uh, he got there with Kevin Johns, his OC. Uh, they moved up to like fourth or fifth. Uh, in the conference in, in year one there when they had their quarterback and they won nine games. Uh, Johns was the OC and quarterback coach. He was at Memphis uh, before he was there at Duke. He was a badass quarterback at Dayton back in the early 2000s. That probably Dayton won't. Flyers. Yeah, that probably <laughs> won't land home with many people. But, you know, that's when I was in college and watching a lot of football at the very front end of uh, uh, bookies and gambling, college gambling and all that kind of stuff when that on, on college campuses. Um, he was awesome as, as a quarterback, by the way. Uh, but a lot of motion, a lot of RPO stuff, a lot of getting your guys in space, making the reads easy on the quarterback. Again, a former quarterback, pretty quarterback 
uh, friendly system, which I would imagine would be music to the ears of Texas A&M Aggies fans because they've wanted more motion, more RPO, more getting guys out in space and more easy uh, decisions in a quarterback friendly uh, offense. I would imagine he brings Johns with him. Um, and that, that would be what the offense looks like. Um, and so to me, um, that seems. do you think he goes outside of his tree or do you just bring the band together? If you're him, I, I think you bring John's in. Uh, I yeah. think it makes sense to just take him over. I mean, you know, if, if he did decide to go outside, I mean, I wouldn't mind him giving Will Stein at Oregon a call, right? Like, I mean, you might as well for the Texas. Like, hey, Jimbo's there. gone. You want to do the interview this year? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Will turned it down. Will turned a And M interview down the previous year to go to Oregon. But uh, yeah. maybe with the new boss in town, he'd be a little bit more likely to come to Texas. Again, uh, unless you ask, uh, you you never know what the answer is going to be. That's right. Uh, and and I I still think that Sean Lewis would be a great call. Yep. Uh, with everything that happened there uh in Colorado and and him being demoted uh, I still have a lot of faith in his play calling abilities and I think he could be uh, a a similar you know make it easy on the quarterback and 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 see what happens uh and and you know hopefully the offensive line improves next year uh and and yet the quarterbacks have more time uh but those easy quick read quarterback offenses uh also limit the amount of time you're holding on to the ball uh, and so theoretically you would get pressured and hit less as well. Uh, either way, I think uh, we'll see a shift there in philosophy. Obviously it'll be interesting to see what the AM quarterback room looks like uh, with Max Johnson announcing that he is going to be entering the transfer portal. Uh, you have to think that Connor Wegman healthy will be the starter, but uh, you know, if, if A&M is able to hold on to, to Henderson, I mean, that would be nice to, to still have a very, what I think is a very, very competent backup. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what that situation looks like. And I mean, this goes back to the roster retention side of things, right. uh, but uh, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Elko does on the offensive side of the ball. I think, I don't know that it'll be a full, like a full overhaul offensively. I think offensive line and offensive coordinator, like Bobby Petrino is not going to hang around. No. Uh, and Adazio, I think is, uh, not likely to be retained either. Uh, I don't like, you know, you never know what a coach is going to do. Maybe Craig stays on. He's had some recruiting success there, brought in some good receivers. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to just kind of see how things shake out there with, uh, with, with who Elko brings along. And then hopefully he gets a special teams coordinator as well. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> technically I think the Duke quarterback could transfer if, if a Connor Wegman wasn't sticking around. What I'm curious about as like college sports becomes more, Player led's probably the wrong way, but like player empowered. Like, do you, if you're Mike Elko, do you talk to a Connor Wegman? Do you talk to an Evan Stewart? Do you take any of the players' uh, opinions or advice in on kind of what offense they want to run or what what offense they would like to run? Or is it still college football in a way that this is a three, four, five year decision? You go with your best, like what the OC you think of, and, and the players will either stay or you'll get new ones and, and you'll just do it that way. I think you do have to take players into consideration a little bit. I mean, we saw the reaction with Stoops versus Elko in in the uh, head coach position, uh, and obviously, like if we're, if you're talking about roster retention, you want to get input from your guys, uh, it, even it's, if it's just to make them feel important. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it helps with buy-in, right? Like yeah. we talk about how important buy-in is. Uh, if you feel like you have input in a decision, you're going to be more likely to invest in that decision. Uh, so it, it's, it's just another way of, you know, actively recruiting your roster really in my mind. Uh, now at the end of the day, you're still going to make the decision you think is best for the team, but having that extra input for the guys, uh, is never a bad thing. Yeah, you're right. It can't hurt. Right. And, and I think we're moving more and more to that. I think it's, it's just one of those interesting and new fascinating parts of the game that we're learning in real time, how the portal works, how the early signing period works, how these coaching changes impact who's in the portal and who's not. And if they start talking to star players about what they want to see, and maybe not even, I don't know how, what the acumen of Evan Stewart's offensive coordinator knowledge is, right. If he's like, I'm a Matt Canada guy or what, you know, like if he's got his, I I hope not. Right. right. (laughs) Uh, But like, if I don't know why I brought out my Matt Canada there, but like, you know, just whatever, whatever your OC flavor is, or if it's just like, Hey, I like these principles or I like this kind of thing, or I want that kind of thing. Here's what's important to me in an offense, or here's what I'm looking for. Because to your point, I I think part of it is just investing them into the decision-making and into the program and into the future and the direction of what's going on. Cause everybody wants to feel included. And I think that's especially yeah. true in this generation who is kind of taught that their opinion matters more than maybe previous generations were like taught, whether that's good or bad. We don't have to get into that conversation, but like, I think <laughs> they are more opinionated or at least they feel like there should be more valued than maybe because it used to be shut up and play and you can't go anywhere unless you want to sit out for a year and you just dealt with it. Now you don't have to anymore. You're getting paid one and you have the the freedom of movement uh, with the portal too, to where you don't have to just sit and take it anymore. And so I do think coaches have to be uh, more cognizant of that. And that, again, that's why I thought Elko was always the best name and the best guy for this job is because he won't have to build that with 85 guys on this roster. He'll, he will with 20 to 30 of them, but he knows 50 of them pretty well in terms of just, he's re- helped recruit them or he, offered them early on or seen them at a camp or had them on campus. And so um, I think the transition is going to be good. I think that serves AM well uh, in 2024, but we're not going to know, right? What are your expectations of what this football team looks like moving forward? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, 2024, uh, I think you want to come in and, and be at a minimum third place in the SEC West, right? Like I think, Finishing behind LSU and Alabama isn't isn't terrible. Uh, obviously, AM fans are going to want more right away, especially with the amount of talent on the roster. But I think when you look at it, like first, build a solid base, win nine games, win ten games. Uh, you want to finish ahead of of Ole Miss and and Mississippi State. Like you want to beat both of the Mississippi schools, which you should with the talent that you have. Uh, and and. <laughs> the, the other part of this and looking to the future is obviously Texas coming in. Uh, you want to win that first game against Texas. And obviously there's going to be some, some turnover and we'll see what the rosters look like and, and you know, what kind of changes may end up happening. But uh, I think that is almost as important as where you finish in the sec. Uh, <laughs> like, like, we still haven't we don't know when that game is going to be yet because the SEC hasn't announced the dates on the schedule. Uh, but I have a feeling that that's going to be a uh, a game that's circled uh, for Elko from the from the powers that be as, hey, we have to win this one. 
And remember that it's all getting thrown into a weird kind of, you know, scheduling thing for a, a year and we'll see where it goes from there. Um, they don't even play Ole Miss next year. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, oh, well, then, you know, SEC West isn't a thing anymore. Yeah. 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 You got at home, you got LSU, Missouri, and Texas. Um, on the road, you got South Carolina, Mississippi State, Florida, uh, Auburn. You know, obviously the Arkansas game is going to be at, at AT&T for one more year. And then Mike you have the Elko, big opening game. With, yeah. I was about uh, to Notre say, Mike, Mike Elko's <laughs> debut. As AM head coach, no pressure at all in Kyle Field against your Notre Dame fired fighting Irish. That's gonna be that's gonna be a big time game. There's gonna be between that to bookend it, it should be a great bookend home schedule for AM, right? I mean, 94,000 people go to the Abilene Christian game, and that hats off day. Like Aggie fans are awesome because like stuff like that is incredible. But you're gonna start the season with a home game against Notre Dame, and I'd imagine you end the season with a home game against Texas. Uh, 2024 is going to be pretty badass for for the 12th man, uh, as long as he can keep a lot of this roster together. And you win that first game, right? You get off to a start against Notre Dame, and then all bets are off. Everybody's right on that train. Um, it's going to be amazing how much that first kind of impression of Mike Elko, head coach of Texas A&M, is going to determine <laughs> the the mood of of uh, Aggie Nation moving forward there. Yeah, a lot of pressure uh, from the very start uh, when, whenever you get to A&M uh, with the schedule. I mean, I have a feeling that season tickets are going to sell out in a hurry next year. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling there's not going to be many up for grabs there late in the season. But uh, And then going forward, I mean, just, just keep stacking positive recruiting classes, which you should be able to do. Uh, I think – you want to finish top 10 every year. I think that's yeah. a, a solid goal to have. And, and it gets you, you know, you, you're not going to beat Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state every year. Uh, but if you can finish top five, most years, you know, occasionally like an eighth or ninth, uh, I, I think you can have a pretty solid recruiting class and then use the portal to your benefit. I think that's another thing too, is, you know, recognizing where those holes are. I, and that's the thing about Elko, too, is I feel like he's a little more resourceful uh, than than Jimbo probably was as far as recognizing uh, that there is going to be some some things that you may have to do to, to improve and uh, uh, adapting to his, his surroundings. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, uh, Elko's not like a super old by, by coach uh, – by coaching standards, I think it's 46, 47, yep. something like that. And uh, I think that makes a difference, right? Like maybe you're a little less set in your ways, a little more open to to some ideas coming in. So I think that'll be something that'll benefit AM and and the roster outlook looking forward as well, too. Yeah, important next few weeks coming up, you know, bowl making a bowl game. Uh, I know we kind of crack jokes like when when uh, Fisher was like, you're bowl eligible. And that's a really important thing. But like it's nice for a new staff to have some bowl practices to evaluate and see what you got and see who's staying around and see what the buy in is there. Um, so it feels like it would be an, an important uh, bowl season as well for the Aggies, yeah. kind of a first spring practice, if you will. Yeah, and it's great as an athlete getting that per diem, that sweet, sweet per diem. Yeah, uh, that's that, right. That you get for for bowl season, uh, <laughs> that you, that you don't get if you don't have a a little postseason trip. Uh, so yeah, that that bowl season is big. I think it's uh beneficial to see for guys to see the programs that they're going to coach. Uh, you know, I think it's a big reason why Louisville had a lot of success this year is Jeff Brom coming in, being able to see like I, you know, obviously Brom was coming home to Louisville. 
and and there's some differences there. Uh, but it, I think it's similar where there's some of those connection points. A guy that has been around a place before can come in, and, and there's some talent, and you can win right away. Uh, obviously, a little more competitive in the SEC than the ACC, but I don't see why Alco can't have a similar level of success. Yeah, no doubt. All righty. Uh, if, you, if you don't have anything else, I think that'll do it for the emergency <laughs> episode podcast of of uh, of this show here. I am uh, uh, my my brain is drowning. The the Houston yeah. news happened uh, while we were doing our normal Republic of Football podcast this morning. The Houston news happened right in the middle of it, and then about three fourths of the way through it, uh, I got a source from Baylor calling me to let me know that they were keeping Dave Aranda around. And so, like in the middle of a podcast, I'm like just off screen, like talking on the phone. Um, doing so, I felt like Adam Schefter. Um, yeah. So that was uh, that was cool. Actually, just terrifying. I don't understand how those people live that life and how <laughs> they have being like shams or right. Uh... Like Pete Thamel has to be miserable. <laughs> you know, like that can't be a fun life. Like I do it for like 13 schools and not even really that greatly. Uh, and he's like out with 133 schools, texting everybody all the time. Like, hey, how do you even? I don't know. I just want to go watch the you know Great British Breaking Show or go play. Red Dead Redemption 2 or something like that. I want to sit here and text all these people all day long. So it's been a crazy day in the state. Please go to texasfootball.com. We got news up on the UTEP searching, uh, new UTEP opening, the Houston opening, Baylor and what they're going to do. Dave Aran is taking over play calling there. Uh, obviously, all the AM stuff we're going to put up, kind of a reaction, kind of we're gathering quotes and different tweets and stuff from old players and current players at AM to kind of see what, what they're talking about. So um, and then we'll be back probably later on this week or next week. Uh, we'll figure that out off screen, kind of when we're going to come yeah. back for bowl stuff or maybe signing period or transfer portal. We'll we'll figure that as we go along. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. As always, please rate, subscribe, give us a five star, help us grow the podcast. We've enjoyed it a lot. For Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. We'll see you next time.